And all over the world today, churches who follow the lectionary, and those tend to be the more liturgical type of churches like Anglicans, Episcopals, Lutherans, Roman Catholics, they are reading today from usually all of these four passages, Ephesians chapter 1, John chapter 1, Psalm 147, and Jeremiah 31, the verses 7 to 14. And I thought in solidarity with all those churches around the world today, we would choose one of those passages to spend some time on this morning, and I've chosen the passage from Jeremiah. The whole chapter from Jeremiah is a favorite of mine, Um, but we're going to read from chapter 31 of Jeremiah, the verses 7 through 14. Just a little bit of background, Jeremiah was the prophet who lived around the time of the destruction of Jerusalem. In fact, there are a number of scholars who believe that Jeremiah actually wrote Lamentations, with which you are now, of course, familiar, if not overly familiar. So this was all written around the same time the Babylonians had come in and had, uh, were in the process of besieging and destroying Jerusalem. And Jeremiah's prophecy occurred before that time and then after that time. So a certain part of his prophecy, he's, he's condemning the sin and injustice of the city of Jerusalem. But then, of course, he's also uh, preparing them for exile. And there are, uh, throughout the, the book of Jeremiah, there are passages that are not just narrative or prophecy, but are almost like songs, pieces of literature that look ahead and try to encourage the people in the disaster in which they find themselves. And chapter 31 and um, uh, chapter 31 is one of those interruptions. So I'd like to read from um, 31, the verses 7 through 14. And Jeremiah is here looking ahead to the time when the people of Judah, the people of Israel, will come back. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman and she who is in labor together, a great company they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, He who scattered Israel will gather him, And will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion. And they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord. Over the grain, the wine, and the oil. And over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. 
I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness. I am fairly certain that my Advent series on Lamentations cemented my reputation as a little bit of a pessimistic glass is half empty type of person. And I'll take another moment this morning to just confirm that image. Because one of the interesting things that I found out while looking at this passage is that there's a true way in which you could say that the prophecy of this passage was not fulfilled. If you go back to uh, these two chapters, this little interruption, uh, starting at chapter 30, the first verse uh, of chapter 30 reads, For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. You may remember that after Solomon, the, the, the people of Israel were divided into two uh, groups, two nations. One was the northern tribes, the northern ten tribes, and then there were, there were the southern two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And in about the year 720 B.C., the northern tribes, the ten of them, were taken away into captivity by the Assyrians. And then around 586, 587 B.C., which again is the time of Jeremiah and Lamentations, the southern two tribes were taken away by the Babylonians and Jerusalem was destroyed. So this prophecy, which, we, which comes in Jeremiah and, and with the verse that we just read, speaks very clearly about the return to uh, Palestine, to, to, to Canaan, of the northern tribes and the southern tribes, they're known as Israel and Judah. And this whole prophecy, that the piece of which we read, but the whole prophecy that follows, is, in caps, is starts with that promise that, that all the people should come back. But the fact is that the northern ten tribes never came back. They disappeared. It was like they evaporated. And to this day... It's not very much known what happened to them. And that's a really interesting thing because there's a prophecy of Scripture here that just never happened. The people of Judah came back, a few of them did, but the people of the north just simply never, never came back. Now, I'm not an expert enough, and it's not the topic of the day to talk much about this whole question of unfulfilled prophecy. There's, there's more and more work being done on that in theological circles. But I think it should be mentioned and not ignored. <laughs> we, we can't just skim over Scripture and make it into a feel-good thing that we like. The scripture is very clear. The prophecy is for both of these groups of people, and certainly one of them never came back. This week, I spoke with someone who is anticipating some significant medical challenge in this coming year. 
We talked for quite a while. The challenges will be pretty significant. And there's a serious possibility that this medical condition will end up in what is the worst possible result for that person and thus for that family. And as we talked, we kind of were talking about how to, how to think about that and how, how, to, how to place it. And we kind of came to the conclusion that it, it's not very helpful to assume or, or to hope for another outcome than what's likely going to be the outcome. It is true that God can do anything he wants and that he can heal anybody, anyone from, every, from anything. That is certainly true. But in a lot of cases, if not most cases, he doesn't. And the brute fact is that at some point, every single one of us and every single person who's ever lived, assuming Jesus doesn't come back, is going, there is going to be an illness that finally does us in. There is no package with a bow around it. It says if we pray long enough, if we believe long enough, if we do the right things, that the life of this beloved person is going to be saved. Or that the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, are going to come back. doesn't mean that God doesn't bless us. doesn't mean that all kinds of good things don't happen to us. doesn't mean that God doesn't answer prayers, and sometimes he, he really does great things with prayers. But there's this, there's this theme, there's this, there's this theme even throughout scriptures that things just in the end don't always end up the way we would like them to, the way we would long for them to, the way we, sometimes if we read the Bible, we think even that God has promised. So the question that we talked about in this conversation that I had with this person was, how can we have hope even in the realization that this thing may have a bad ending. It likely will have a bad ending. And maybe we should shift our hope not from a good result, shift our hope from looking at a good result to how do we live, how do we conduct ourselves in the middle of things, in the middle of trials, in the middle of problems that aren't going to get fixed. And I think this passage can help us in that because, again, this is, this is a passage of hope, but it's embedded in a prophecy that doesn't come true. So the first thing I'd like to look at, we'll do it briefly this morning, is the centerpiece of the passage, which I'm going to project uh, on the wall for you just to bring it in front of you again. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. 
For the Lord has ransomed Jacob. Let me read verse 10 also. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong to him. The central fact upon which we base our lives and in which our hope is rooted is that the Lord, and from the New Testament perspective we say in Christ, has ransomed us and has redeemed us. And those words ransom and redeemed are very much connected in, in biblical language to freedom from slavery. They're used when spoken about Israel's liberation from Egypt. They're used deliberately here to speak about the liberation of the people of Judah from, uh, from the Babylonians. And they're used in the New Testament to talk about our liberation from sin and death and, and evil. So there's very much in these, in these, in these words the, the sense of being liberated from something that has enslaved us. And of course, we're all enslaved to sin and to, and to the power of evil and to the power of empire. So right at the heart of this promise, and I think the fundamental fact that allows us to keep going even through 2022, I saw a comic strip this week, and I looked for it, but I couldn't find it, or I would project it, of about six people standing in a corner, in a corner of a room, and they had long broom handles, and they were, they were peeking out around the corner, and with long broom handles, they were opening the door to 2022. Like, it's got to go open, but let's stay as far away from it as we can, because we don't know what's going to happen. I'm sure you've heard those themes through all the stuff that you've read and seen on your TVs or social media screens this year. In spite of all that's going to happen this year, the fundamental fact about our existence, the foundation upon which we stand, the source of our life, the fundamental truth to which we hold in every single circumstance, is that God, through Christ, has ransomed us and redeemed us from the sin, from the evil, from the death which surrounds us in this world. That there is nothing that can separate you from His love. That you are a child of His a son or a daughter. That God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that we may live. For God, Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And that fact has been accomplished 
When Jesus died, when he, when he came to earth, we just celebrated the incarnation. When he died on the cross, when he rose again, those are facts. This happened. It's truth. So the first thing I want to do as we go into 2022 is encourage you to, to look at that truth again, to grab it again, to believe it again, to believe it perhaps in new ways. To work it into the way you deal with and understand and cope with the struggles and the worries and the concerns that you may be facing as you look ahead to this new year. God has ransomed and redeemed us as individuals and us as a community. And that is the fundamental fact of our existence. And that's where we place our hope. That we belong to Him. And that there is nothing that can separate us from His love. But the passage goes further and carries at least two other themes. And there's this picture of the people of Israel coming back from Babylon into Jerusalem to rebuild the city and rebuild uh, uh, Judah as it had been before. And the first theme that you see as you read this passage is that of community. There's this idea of gathering people together like a shepherd gathers his flock, where the blind and the lame and the pregnant and the one who is in labor. Can you imagine traveling through the desert from Persia, from Babylon, back to Israel with the blind and the lame and the one who's in labor and the one who's in pregnant? You have to pay attention to them. You can't just run. You go as fast as the weakest person among you. Because it's about you together. There's this great company. And there's the young women rejoicing in the dance. There's the young men and the old men being merry. There's the mourning being turned into joy. There's the gladness coming from sorrow. There's comfort. There's feasting with abundance. There's being satisfied with goodness. This is all about community. All about us. So there's this community aspect, but there's also this aspect of the creation. That people shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, being shown in brooks of water, in the straight paths. You can go on to the next slide, Christopher. Thanks. The brooks of water, the straight paths. The grain, the wine, the oil, the young of flock and herd. A watered garden, languishing no more. And this is obviously a picture that takes us back to the Garden of Eden. Where God had made the world, and all the nature, and all the plants, and all the animals of earth and sea and air. And He made the man, and He made the woman, and every time he said, this is great, this is good stuff. And there they were in harmony with each other. There was no shame. There was no killing. There was no exploiting. 
There was this, this harmony and this balance between God and man and nature and creation. And it all worked together. And so as God presents this picture again in Jeremiah and refers to it, in light of circumstances that are difficult, he calls us to, number one, be in community with each other, and number two, to be in fellowship and in good relationship with the creation which he has made. And I'd like to just conclude by making a couple comments about three different areas as we look at, in which we find ourselves as we look forward to this new year. The first one is, how are we going to live as people of God in the wide world in which God has placed us, in the society in which we live? In our own country, of course, even our own state, our own county, our own town, but also, of course, as part of this worldwide creation group of people. Again, not with the perspective that we're going to be able to solve all the problems. There is no neatly wrapped box at the end of this year. It could be that a year from now, things will be worse. It's possible. There's my glass half empty thing again. It could be that they'll be better. We certainly hope they will be. But there's no nicely wrapped package that everything is going to be perfect promised to us at the end of this year. So how are you going to live through the events that come across your path this year? How will you reach out and have impact on our world? How will you become part of the community of the world? How will you contribute to allowing the blind and the lame and the pregnant and the woman in labor to travel along with us? How will you be inclusive as you go through this year? What are you doing to preserve the creation? What are you doing to battle against materialism, militarism, and racism, and injustice? What kind of contribution, as you look ahead to this year, are you going to make, are we going to make, to the well-being of this big, wide world in which God has placed us? That's the first sphere, this first area. The second one is just thinking about Trinity Church. We're a small group. We are heavily impacted by COVID. We're heavily impacted by the fact that our average age is rising. We're impacted by our history. We're impacted by who we are. There are even questions about viability. Are we a viable group? 
And there's no promise that we are. There are hundreds and hundreds of churches closing in the United States and around the world weekly or monthly. I don't know exactly what the frequency is. How are we on the way in which we find ourselves going to resist the pull towards individualism? How are, going, how are we going to re, re, resist this magnetic pull? Say, you know, it's just as easy for me to stay at home, to take care of my own things, and to find my own spiritual nourishment. And I don't really need the other person. I don't really need to call on anyone else for help. I'm really, when push comes to shove, fundamentally okay. And I can handle it. Are we going to make any effort to resist that pull? Because COVID is, is helping, us, helping us pull us apart in that way. What are we doing to strengthen our community? What are we doing to witness to Christ's redeeming, ransoming, and reconciling work in the world? How are we building relationships? And how are we as a church community, as a Trinity community, fighting materialism, militarism, racism, and injustice? even in the difficulties of the walk and of the time in which we find ourselves. And then, of course, there's the circles of our own families behind our own front doors. Is our family our priority? Is my partner, my spouse, my priority? Are my children my priority? Am I letting my family know that they are first for me? Am I making any steps to resolve any conflict? Am I doing anything to be open and vulnerable? Are we doing anything to grow in our relationships? Am I making any steps or am I just content with the status quo? How is our family, as a family unit, contributing towards the shalom, the peace, and the well-being of the community, society, and world in which we find ourselves? And by asking all these questions, I'm not suggesting that we're not doing those things. It's a challenge to keep doing them and to maybe look for ways to grow in them. This book of Jeremiah happened in a time of crisis, and there was no, there was no resolution that actually happened. But in our circumstances, how can we be the kind of people 
that God has called us to be, for whom Christ ransomed us and set us free and gave us his Holy Spirit to be fruitful people in the world, to be grateful for him, to him for all of the blessings that we have received from him, and we have many. But to walk close beside him and to be open to be used by him on all levels of society in the difficult circumstances, the stresses and strains of the world in which we find ourselves in 2022.